Hello, this is Brian Bullington, and I am pastor of New Song Family Church in Ventuk, Namibia. I'm so glad that you have joined us today, and it's my prayer that this podcast message will help you to grow closer to Jesus as you walk daily with Him. So when I came home for the first holiday, my plan as, as, as a new believer who obviously knew everything there was to know about Jesus, right, in my vast months of experience, that I was going to come home and convert everybody because I had God's word now and I knew what I was talking about. And I remember having conversations with this friend of mine. Um, a couple of, and he was gracious and kind uh, and I wasn't because I'm a new believer who is zealous and I have all the answers now and I'm going to give everybody all the answers. And um, I remember one day we, we were sitting in, in, in um, my mom's living room and he was, he, was, he was telling me about a, a guy that had gone to high school with us, a little bit older than us, who had gone to another church. And this is a church that uh, when we were in high school, uh, we knew as a little bit on the, uh, I don't know, eccentric side. Right? And um, I remember him telling me about this church and me, because this church was very different in their doctrines and how they did things. And I bashed this church. And I remember uh, laying into him and saying, this is, this is false teaching, this is this, this is that. And I remember him looking at me and saying, aren't you guys on the same side? And I still tried to defend it. I was, I was naive and arrogant, and I still tried to defend it. And he said, I thought you guys were supposed to be one. Isn't, isn't the church supposed to be supporting one another and, and, and helping one another grow? Aren't you supposed to? He said, the one thing that really hit me is, aren't you supposed to be united in your pursuit of someone like me? And that really hit me. And uh, to this day, uh, I don't know where he is with Jesus. Uh, he lives somewhere else now. Um, but I always think about this. I always think about my self-righteousness in this moment and how I wonder if it's still, if that was the stumbling block. So I remember we would have conversations and every now and then he would listen, but after that conversation, things changed. And um, every now and then we do talk about God, but we haven't gone in depth at all. So I keep thinking about that. I think, man, if I had just been, if I'd shut my mouth and listened and not been self-righteous and felt like I knew everything, would my friend know Jesus right now? And this morning, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about something that Jesus said. He says in, in Matthew 5, verse 20, as he's talking to this crowd in, in, in this Sermon on the Mount, uh, he says these things, which, which struck whoever was listening at the time. He said, but I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, these people at the time, these religious leaders were seen as the, the holiest. They, they were experts. They spent years studying the scriptures and practiced following the, what they had confirmed as 613 laws very religiously. So part of what, what they did was study the scriptures and then interpret for the people how they were supposed to obey these laws, the laws of God. And it appeared to everyone that they followed these perfectly. They, re they regarded the most righteous in the Jewish society. 
So when Jesus is saying to this crowd, you must, <laughs> you must be more righteous than them, what they're thinking is, this is impossible. There is no way I can do this. Jesus' audience was probably shocked. And I, and I often, as, as I read the scriptures, I don't know about you, but I, I come to the scriptures, and the moment I come to the New Testament, I know who the villain is. The villain, the villains are the Pharisees and the religious teachers. And in my mind, I go, I could never be like that. Have you ever read and thought that? I could never be like these people. If I was there, I would have known that this was the Messiah. It's so obvious. These people are, are so proud, so arrogant. They think they know everything. I'm so glad I'm not like that. And I often dehumanize them. But often in, in, in a lot of stories, uh, the villain doesn't start out a villain. Right? And, a, and, a, and a lot of people who have intended to do great things have started off with good intentions, end up going south. And uh, the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, and all these other religious leaders were very much the same. Their intention was a good one. They, these, these groups rose up in the time after the, the temple had been destroyed by the Babylonians. And to the Israelites, worship to them, they didn't know worship without the temple. Uh, it's, it, everything involved the temple. When you went to go and give thanks to God, it's at the temple. When you're going to, to, to um, pay for sin, it's at the temple. So now you have these Israelites who are in different places, exiled, and they don't have a temple to worship at. And these groups came about as a way to, for, for the Israelites to have some form of worship outside of the temple. So you had the, 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 the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and, and, and these groups study God's law and, and preserve it, work hard in preserving it and making sure that the people obeyed God's law. So their intention was actually a great one. And, and without, without them, who knows where Israel would have been? And I really do believe that that was God who led them to be like that. God led them and gave them that heart to say, let's study God's law, let's obey him. And then, because they're the people at the forefront, they're tempted with pride. Right? And when I look at it this way, I realize, hey, they're, they're tempted with the very same thing we are tempted with all the time. When people look at us and they and they praise us, the temptation is to go, you're right, I am great, I am awesome. Worship me, please, right? But this was good, good for me to read and to really, to look at my own heart. And even as I was reading it, I had to pray and repent and say, God, because what God says when he, when, he, when he talks about helping people who have come out of temptation, uh, Paul says, make sure that after you've helped someone out of temptation, that you don't fall into the same temptation. So as I'm reading this and I'm saying these people are so proud, I'm falling into the same temptation. And the difficult thing is when we're doing, when we're proud because we're doing something that God would want us to do. Right? There are a lot of good things we can do, but the moment we take it on as our own righteousness, we've missed the plot completely. And the Pharisees turned from, and these, these, all these leaders turned from being a people who are about serving the people to a people who use the people to serve their own pride, to build themselves up. The praise of people was the most important thing. 
And Jesus uh, talks about them in Matthew 23. And he says, everything they do is for show. On their arms, they wear extra wide prayer boxes with scripture verses inside. And they wear robes with extra long tassels. And they love to sit at the head of the table at banquets and in the seats of honor in the synagogues. They love to receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplaces. And they love to be called rabbi. See, these religious leaders wanted to look holier than everyone else. Started off as a sincere desire to obey God. Now turned into a desire to be honored by people. Praise and flattery is very nice. Right? You know the, the, the phrase? Please finish it for me. Flattery will get you. I think, I think it does get you somewhere, right? Because one of the tricks of, of master manipulators is to flatter a bit, right? And at first, we, we always fall for it because people's praise is like this addictive drug, right? And I'm talking as someone who struggles with people-pleasing, and I know how, what that pull is. It's so addictive, right? And it comes from a good, from a, from a good and, and a, a real need that we have, a need to be loved, a need to be accepted, and a need to be affirmed. Those are, those are God-given needs. But they can quickly be, be twisted by our own hearts into something horrible. Jesus says um, in Matthew 6, Watch out, do not do your good deeds in public to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and the street to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have all received the reward they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private, and your Father who sees everything will reward you. And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in, and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father who sees everything will reward you. I look at human praise, and we have these, these, two, these two goals we can run towards, the praise of men or the praise of God. And human praise is like instant gratification. I can get it right here and right now. It's like eating junk food versus waiting to get home to eat a good home-cooked meal by your wonderful wife. That's me. <laughs> but it's, it, it's hard to wait on God's praise because we can't see him, right? We know he's there, but the praise doesn't come right now. And sometimes it's not as nice because there's no one to see the praise that I'll get. Whereas with people, we see it right here and right now. We see it as people talk about us. We see it as people say, oh, I could never be like you. You're incredible. And we get that affirmation right then and there, but it's this drug. And just like drugs, you can never get enough. You always need 
little bit more. That addiction becomes its own monster. So when we do things, we need to think about who we're doing them for. Are we doing them to be seen by others? Are we doing it for the one who sees everything that we do in secret? Who are we doing it for? Is my righteousness for man's praise or for God's pleasure? In other words, if no one is around to see it, will I still do it? You see, the, the, the thing of, of, of living for praise, uh, it has this snowball effect. And it becomes a, a life of pursuing, from pursuing God to pursuing an image that we're trying to build up. And living for image is hypocrisy. Because we show people something, but on the inside, that's not really what we're concerned about. Matthew, Jesus talks about, about the Pharisees. And as I was reading this, I, I realized, you know, as Jesus is saying these things, he's saying them from a place of pain. He says he, he wept over Jerusalem. And he says, if only you would come to me. And so even as he's, as he's rebuking them, He's doing this in the hopes that they would turn to him. Jesus says this in Matthew 23. He says, What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees? Hypocrites! For you are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first wash the inside of the cup and the dish, then the outside will be clean too. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside, dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. They worked so hard to make sure this image was perfect on the outside. There are all sorts of, 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 of stories of, of, of Pharisees, and, and, and one of them was that they would always have bumps on their heads because they, they said they were not going to look at anyone with lust. So a lot of them would walk with their heads down and bump into things. And this wound on their head is, is proof of their righteousness, their purity. It's ridiculous. And the funny thing is, this is, this is something that, as we're tempted with, we know what it feels like to meet somebody and to, fig and to find out that this person is not who they say they are, right? Isn't that a horrible feeling? When this person has built up this image and, and suddenly you see who they really are. And it's an ugly picture. But often we look out at what everyone else is doing. Are we looking at ourselves? Are we in some way projecting some sort of image that is not sincere? Right? It could be in the, in the smallest of ways. One of the things that we believers fall short at a lot of times is just saying that we're messed up too. And a lot of the world thinks that we're judgmental because even when we do mess up, sometimes we try and cover it up because we have an expectation that everyone thinks we need to be perfect. So we might as well play the role. But we are not. And it actually pushes people away. When I'm self-righteous, it pushes people away. But if I really am striving to serve God, I think even as I'm messing up, there's a respect that comes from people. 
look at the, the example of, of two kings. You had King David and King Saul. And when you look at their lives, we all know that David is the one after God's heart. But if you really look at their lives, Saul seems to be more moral than David was. Right? So we look at, at, at Saul's, Saul's mess-ups. He brought, he brought animals that he wasn't supposed to bring. These animals were supposed to be destroyed. He brought them back to Israel and he said he was going to sacrifice them to the Lord. From that moment on, God knew that his heart wasn't with him. David, where do you even begin with this man? First, a trusted member of his, of his soldiers. And this, this, these, these were some of, Uriah was part of the, the, the mighty men of David, the, one, the ones who stuck by him. I always think of this, this story of uh, these 30 men sneaking into, into an enemy camp to go and get David some water because he had never, he, he was so thirsty and hadn't drunk water in a long time. And I, and, I, and I doesn't mention whether Uriah was there or not, but I imagine him being there. And he comes and he brings the water. And when they brought it to David, David pours it out onto the ground. Right? This is a man who has dedicated and served David with his love. David sleeps with his wife, gets her pregnant, tries to cover it up. When that doesn't work, sends this man to go and get killed. Basically murders someone. Saul brought some animals back that he wasn't supposed to bring back. If you look at these two men, David's sins are a whole lot worse. But that's as we look on the outside. When Saul was told that I'm going to take this kingdom from you, he held on to it because the position and the power was important to him. When David was told that you have sinned and the child that Bathsheba is about to bear, that child will die as a consequence of your sin. David prayed to the Lord and asked, please let this not be. When God did not relent, he said, he accepted it and said, God, this is your punishment and I deserve it. And then started the business of repenting. Psalm 51 is, is one where David pours out his heart and he says, I'm sinful and God, I, I need you to change me and to, and to clean this, this dirty heart of mine. Cleanse me of my sin. And you can see when you look at the heart that David really loved God. And even though his, his outward appearance might not have shown that, he's the one who truly loved God. And you have Saul, who was the hypocrite, who continued to hold on to a kingdom that wasn't his. God looks at our, at our heart. And one of the things that, um, that Jesus argued with the Pharisees about all the time was who he spent time with. So in, in Matthew, we know Jesus calls, calls Matthew to be a disciple, and Matthew is a tax collector, right? And tax collectors are known as the scum, so most Israelites would not even associate with them because they feared that if anyone saw them hanging out with a tax collector, they would be kicked out of community. So no one was around them except for the other rejects. So Jesus is invited to the place. It says in Matthew 9, verse 10 to 12, that Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home 
as, a, as, as, as dinner guests and along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with, with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. See, Jesus, Jesus was, was doing what he came here to do. He came to set the captives free, to give sight to those who are blind. But in the eyes of the Pharisees, who lived all about image and all about who, how people see me and who they see me with, they couldn't understand why Jesus, this great teacher, this man who's been performing miracles, would step into the mess of Matthew's house all these messy people around him. You know, and there's, there's another story, one of my favorite stories. It just shows who Jesus is. When one of the Pharisees asked him to have dinner with him, so Jesus went to his home and sat down, and a certain immoral woman from that city heard that he was eating there. She brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. And she knelt behind him at his feet weeping, and her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of a woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces of silver to the other. But neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown much shown me much love but a person who has forgiven who is forgiven little shows only little love then jesus said to the woman your sins are forgiven the men at the table said among them among themselves who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins and jesus said to the woman your faith has saved you go in peace see self-righteousness stops us from seeing God and his grace. But the Pharisees are sitting here in this scene, and I think about how incredible this scene must be, how powerful this moment must be. And they're thinking, but this woman is a sinner. They can't see that a sinner who would otherwise be destroying herself on the way to ultimate destruction is recognizing that Jesus is the way and is receiving forgiveness. They're missing that in this moment, God himself has come down from his place of glory where he is deserving and has knelt to meet the sinner on their level and to lift them out of their sin. 
And often I think as I read this, how many times has my self-righteousness, how many times as, as I've been on my own crusade, have I missed an opportunity to bring someone to the grace of Jesus? How many times have we missed the opportunity? See, self-righteousness blinds us from the need, from our own need of grace. Jesus continued in this in the story to tell the story to the to the Pharisees, and this is this is the first time I've read this and realized that this parable of the prodigal son was one that Jesus told to the Pharisees, that he told this as a response to them saying, why are you with these sinners? And he told a, a bunch of parables, the lost coin, and, and in the same group of parables, you have the prodigal son. And we know the story, the, the, the younger son says to the dad, I, I want my inheritance, and reluctantly, the father gives him the inheritance and he runs off with it and just lives the wildest possible life and finishes all of his money and comes back. And on his way back, or, or he's out there looking for money and says, I need to go back to my dad because even, even our servants eat better than I'm eating right now. As he was tending to pigs and looking at their food. And he's so hungry that their food looked delicious. There must be... That is lower than rock bottom. When you look at a pig and what it's eating, if you've ever seen a pig eating, sure. <laughs> that is a nasty creature, right? Only forgivable by bacon. That's it. <laughs> but you look at that creature and you see it eating, and, and it eats with its nose, and so... It's all, all the stuff is coming back out and it's in the food. And this guy is saying, this actually looks good. I think in that moment he realizes this is rock bottom. I'm going to go back to my dad's place and I'm going to come back to him, not as a son, but as a servant. And as he comes back, we know the story. The father runs to him and puts, puts this garment on him and put, gives him a ring of honor and says to his servants, let's prepare a feast. And we have the older brother that is back and he comes back from the field and he hears all the commotion and he's told that there's, there's a celebration because the son had come back. And when he returned home, he, say, he, he asked his servants, what's going on? And he says, your brother is back. He's told your father, he was told your father has killed a fattened calf and we're celebrating his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. And his father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time, you never even gave me one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes and you celebrate by killing a fattened calf. And his father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed with me. Everything I have is yours. We have to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now is found. Jesus spoke this to Pharisees who, had the, who in the, the, just, just previously they had mentioned with their words that, yo, with these filthy people, what are you doing here? In this, in this story, the older son represents the Pharisees who have God's word, have have been the people who have worked hard to preserve God's, God's law and to make sure that people obey it. 
They've been in God's fold, in his household, in his family. The brother is so upset that his, this, that, that his younger brother who squandered everything has come back and is being celebrated. And the Pharisees were upset that sinners were sitting with Jesus. The older son believes that his brother's sin makes him undeserving of celebration. And the Pharisees felt that sinners were not deserving of Christ's attention or even theirs. The older brother felt that his own efforts made him a more deserving person to celebrate. And the Pharisees felt that their own righteousness makes them more deserving. See, self-righteousness blinds us from grace. We don't realize, like the Pharisees did, we don't realize that we need grace. And when we lose that, we lose our ability to relate with everyone else. We become those people that people talk about, holier than thou, judgmental, legalistic, lacking grace. And we don't see the beauty of grace even in our own lives. As we focus on all our achievements and all the things that we've done right, we miss how much God is covering all of our sin that pours out daily. And we don't even desire grace anymore. When we're doing okay, like, I'm good, I'm all right. I don't need this. And the sad thing is that pours out into us not desiring grace for other people as well. And as we see people, we see the things that they do, and not that they're a person loved by God, and God is calling you to call them back to Him. We become legalistic and rude and unmerciful. And we stop wanting people's redemption and we start searching for their condemnation. I've done this. There have been times where people have upset me so much that I thought to myself, yeah, but if we die today, you're going to hell. It's a little bit of a comfort in that moment. And that's the sign of a bad heart in those moments. And in those moments, I think, I'm better off. I'm better off than you are. And I deserve grace, and you don't, because you're being an idiot right now. Self-righteousness, it, it, it stops us from being these people from whom grace flows through. Love and compassion is no more. And even if we say the right words, they come out sharp, and they cut, instead of soothing and comforting and bringing people back to Jesus. We paint a picture of, of a God who wants to condemn and punish and crush under his feet. We paint a picture of a God who did not die on the cross for them. We paint a picture of a God who did not leave the glory of heaven to come and walk with man so that people would come to know him. That's perhaps one of the saddest things about our self-righteousness. Is that we don't reflect God the way we should. So how do we fight this? How do we combat self-righteousness? I constantly need a reminder of God's grace. And when I, when I do mess up, I have this cycle of guilt and then knowing that God has forgiven me and coming back to him. And that's exactly where God wants me to be all the time knowing that I'm sinful and I'm desperately in need of his grace. 
We need to constantly check ourselves. What we're doing this for? Is it approval of man? Or God's approval and a grateful heart of the fact that he gives us grace. I think we need to constantly confess our sin to God to remind ourselves that we're far from perfect. And when we do mess up around people, we need to be honest about it. Let's not cover up our sin. Say, I've messed up. I've messed up. We need to measure ourselves not by other people and what they do and what we do, but by God's standard, by his perfect standard. When I look at Jesus, I know. I know I'm nothing. And we need to, to, to do our acts of righteousness as a response to God's grace and not as some sort of currency to get more of it because we can't. So let's spend some time praying. I don't know where you are this morning. Uh, maybe you're doing great with this. Uh, maybe like me, you need to do business with Jesus. But let's spend some time praying and ask God, God, where am I? Where is my heart? In some way, am I being self-righteous? Has this hurt other people? Am I living for your approval or the approval of men? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that your grace covers our arrogance, that your grace covers our pride, that you love when we are not loving others, when we feel like we don't need your love, we don't need your grace. Thank you that your wisdom is far beyond ours. I pray, Jesus, that you show us who we are, uh, not to condemn us, but to remind us, Lord, that we are desperately in need of grace. And then that would would lead us to joyfully following after you and pursuing you and shining. That, that righteousness would come from a place of just bringing you gifts. Jesus, thank you that you, you forgive us. And God, we, we thank you for that grace. Uh, and, I, and God, I pray that you'd purge us of self-righteousness, crush our pride. Lord, that 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 our actions and our words would be a sweet aroma that draws people to you, that reminds people of your grace, that reminds people of your love, that reminds people that your desire is that everyone would come to know you and come to see forgiveness. God, we want to be uh, a people that draw people to you, not push people away from you. Lead us in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is Rico Vecca, and I am also a pastor at New Song Family Church. I want to thank you for listening to this message today, and it is my hope that you will join us again for another New Song Family Church podcast.